Okay, well, hello. Uh, hi, Eugene. Hi, everyone else who might be listening. It is just me this week because, uh, let's see, I'm recovering from a cold, but I'm mostly better. Uh, except that last night I coughed so hard that my back, that my back spasmed, so I took the day off from work. But otherwise, um, I'm, I'm alright, you know, pretty much, for the most part. You won't notice any of the coughs or sneezes, I can, you know, silence those out. Um, Brent, on the other hand, is still sick, uh, separately, you know, we're, um, I don't know how many miles apart, but he also happened to get sick in the same week, and is still sick, and isn't up to recording. So, it's just me, but, uh, I've got so many topics, you know, like, I didn't get to do any of them last episode, since we had our, you know, special guests and whatever shit they found to read last last time um i didn't get to talk about any of this stuff and i've got a lot of stuff so let's i guess just start going through it and um brent if you're listening and want to follow up on any of these in a future episode just remind me and hopefully i remember because uh, i don't often remember things for you know I mean, I, I remember them, but not that clearly. The, the memories all kind of get compressed like a zip file in my brain, and it takes a while to unlock them after, uh, you know, they've been sent to the deep storage because they're more than a week old. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be talking about things that I've read or watched in the month of October 2022, um, starting with... Okay, so, I was on vacation a few weeks ago, before last episode, um, and during that time, I went on a shopping trip and picked up a whole bunch of manga, mostly volumes of Dragon Ball Super, because I wanted to fill in the entire story, you know, I, I, I talked in a previous episode when I read the last volume of, uh, the Moro arc of Dragon Ball Super, which is the story arc that happens after the Tournament of Power, which is where the anime finishes up, um, until hopefully someday they pick it back up and they do the Moro arc and the Granola arc, which, as of recording the first, like, one or two volumes, uh, I have and have read the Granola arc, and I, I think I talked about that one too, it's, um, the the Viz English translation only has a couple volumes. The Japanese one, I think, has uh, concluded that arc. Because I think that's what all the talk about Black Frieza was about. Um, I haven't followed that. I will find out when it comes into English. I'm in no rush for that, really. But I wanted to catch up on um, everything that happened in between. The Moro arc, I did not realize when I set out to do that, that the Moro arc comprises, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven and a half volumes. Um, and I guess in true Dragon Ball fashion, those seven and a half volumes, it's kind of one long fight against Moro. You know, there's some interesting character bits and lore bits in between, but... It is kind of one very long multi-phase fight that happens. Um, it has been like three weeks 
since I read this. I've got all the books with me. I'm just going to flip through them and try to summarize uh, what happened. Let's see. Okay, so, um... Shit. Uh, let's see. Okay, so Goku, Vegeta, training. Um, okay, so there's this guy, Miris, who you find out eventually. He he seems more... Okay, so he, he's like a space patrol man, like Jocko. But he seems like he's got more talent than uh, he's letting on, and it turns out, yes, he is actually like an angel in training who we uh, hooked up with the Space Patrol, and because he's an angel, he's got certain rules he has to follow, and uh, he's not allowed to like intervene in the balance between good and evil, but, um, spoilers, he breaks that code to turn the tables against Morrow this, you know, great evil force, and as a result, is wiped from existence, so, rip, Miris, um, but, okay, so Miris comes to Earth to take Majin Buu, but then Goku and Vegeta intervene, and so all three of them get taken, um, because Miris explains that Majin Buu, his innocent form, the big pudgy fun form that he's in, um, is because his body is basically controlled by this old force for good called the Great Lord of Lords, um, big fat jolly guy who in ancient, you know, like, I don't know, what was it, like 10,000 years ago, um, sealed away this evil wizard named Moro, who's like a big goat man, and, um, he could, like, devour the life energy of entire planets and use it. But Lord of Lords uh, managed to put a seal on Moro's powers, so he's just a dude. And they've had him locked up in prison ever since for the last 10,000 years. Um, and then in the time since then, Great Lord of Lords got absorbed by Majin Buu and created innocent form Majin Buu. And, um, and yada yada. Um... Let's see. Um, okay, also there is a galactic emperor who is a squid guy with a crown, and there's a running joke that Goku keeps grabbing his penis, not real, you know, thinking it's, he's got, he's a, like a squid head with a bunch of tentacles, and um, Goku's trying to shake his hand, but he doesn't know which one is a hand and which one is his dick, so he keeps grabbing his dick. Um, so that's fun. Um, okay, and then, so there's a breakout of criminals at the, um, Galactic Prison, and that's why they need Majin Buu slash Lord of Lords to help, um, recapture Moro, along with the other criminals who are, like, his henchmen. Um, let's see, big train heist scene, they recapture the guys, except for Moro, because he wasn't there. Um, okay, well, that that's about it for that half a volume. Um, what happens in the next volume? Uh, it's been a while, okay. They confront Moro, fighting, 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 fight. Um... Beers and Weiss doing nothing about what's going on because whatever, they're neutral in the great balance of good and evil in which evil wants to consume everything. 
And good, I guess, has to stop him. Um, okay, so there's Namekians on, um, I think these are the ones on, yeah, th these ones are on New Namek. Because it's later that they, it turns out there's other ones on the planet with the Cerulean's. Um, so yeah, uh, Moro comes to New Namek looking to get the Dragon Balls and make a wish to get his powers back. Um, ends up killing pretty much everyone on Namek. Um, and let's see, okay, he's got most of the Dragon Balls in this panel. Um, but no, I'm, I'm starting to remember. Yeah, he kills everyone on Namek. Eventually they get wished back, I think. Um, after, after Moro's consumed a bunch of planets, they wish most of the planets back. Um, but some of them have been, I guess, dead too long and they weren't able to be, uh, brought back. The Mechians were an exception because they're just, you know, so resilient as a species that, um, their bodies hadn't deteriorated, so their souls could be returned to their bodies or, or some bullshit, I don't know. You know, Dragon Ball, Calvin Ball rules, um... So, okay, uh, let's see, so, the Lord of Lords inside of Boo, um, wakes up enough to fight Moro, and more fighting, and more fighting, um, let's see, they make the wish while using a mind control device on the Namekian to, uh, yeah, the, the one who can actually speak the wish, because you have to speak it in Namekian. Needs a mind control device to make him say what they want. And, uh, wish for, um, Moro's powers back, and also for all the prisoners, remaining prisoners in the galactic prison to be released. So we can get more fighting as all of the prisoners descend on the scene to fight with, uh, I can't remember, are they fighting Goku and Vegeta? Or I think Vegeta actually goes off to do his own separate training, uh, at some point. Um, let's see, no, still fighting Moro. Man, I hope this is interesting. Um, uh, if not, I have other topics, so skip ahead, or whatever. I mean, we all know this This podcast is just a sleep aid anyway. Um, so, let's see, what else? Okay, um, so the prisoners all escape. Um, it's one who kind of looks like Jade. She's like an elf, like a tube top. So she, she's cool, even though she's an extremely, extremely minor character. I mean, that's, that's just how I do. I'm always, uh, I get wrapped up in the sexy background characters who don't get to do anything because they were just there to be in the background. Um, uh, let's see, okay. Okay, now they're fighting all the convicts. Okay, yeah, it looks like this is when Vegeta decides to go off separately to the planet where, um, Goku learned fast travel, or instant transmission, um, because, you know, Vegeta thinks there's other techniques they can teach him to be able to defeat, uh, Moro. Meanwhile, Goku is training with Miras, because Miras is, you know, he discovers that he's secretly an angel, which means he knows more about the Ultra Instinct technique that Whis also, you know, I think in we did some training with Goku on Ultra Instinct. He does more after this arc. Because um, Ultra Instinct is like a, an angel technique. Um, but yeah, Vegeta goes to... What are these guys' names? Um, 
the Yardratians. He goes to the Yardratians, uh, or Yardratians, maybe, um, and talks to their leader, the one who taught Goku instant transmission, and, okay, yeah, he's, he teaches Vegeta spirit control, which lets you basically do, like, the ninjutsu, you know, I guess move so fast that it looks like there's copies of you, um, and also shrink and grow yourself, um, you know, just, just some crazy shit that you could use on, uh, Moro, because the thing with Moro is if he touches you, he can just absorb your power, so you can't fight him for too long, or else he'll just drain you out, and then, uh, still be strong enough, and kill you. Um, let's see, anything else interesting happen in this volume? Not really, it's just the start of their training. Um, volume 4 of this, or, I mean, it's technically volume 12 of Super. Um... Let's see, they're doing more fights. Oh yeah, there's this other guy. What's this guy's name? This guy's kind of important. Um, why don't they have him on the character page? He's he's important. It's weird. Um, okay, well there's like this android. I, I guess android's kind of a loaded term in magic or in um, in the Dragon Ball. Um, Okay, OG73-I. He's, he's like a robot. Um, robot, android, whatever, alien. One of the convicts. He's got these three gemstones in his head, and if he touches a person, he can copy their powers and store them in one of the gemstones. So one of his gemstones has Moro's powers stored, and he also, I think, copies... Uh, looks like he copies Gohan, because he's fighting Go. I think he copies Gohan and Piccolo, so he can use Piccolo's powers to regenerate, and Gohan's powers to do all the Gohan stuff. Plus, he's got Moro's powers that he can tap into. But, if he ever taps any of these powers, he only has them temporarily, and eventually they run out. So he has to recharge. So he's a little more fair than some of the other copycat characters that uh, Dragon Ball has. But... Yeah, let's see, okay, Angel's talking about, uh, Miris, etc. I've already kind of explained that part. Um, Vegeta massively unlocks his power thanks to the spirit control stuff that he learns. Um, he has a fight against uh, another convict guy who shows up at the Yardation planet. Um... That it for that volume, pretty much more or less. Convicts, ah, uh, yeah, the convicts come to Earth because they want the Earth Dragon Balls next, um, and so all the defenders of Earth are having to fight them, and that's why Gohan was involved. Um, okay, next volume. Um, well, the cool background character's back, uh, so that uh, Master Roshi can perv on her until she fuses with two other girls to make one really big girl. Um, and then, and that's all just kind of a gag background thing, whatever. Um, but Moro kills the 73 robot guy because he needs to take his power stone back from him, I think. Um, oh yeah, he, just, he drains his power because that's what Moro does. He just touches people and drains their power. Um, 
Well, let's see. What else happens? More fighting on Earth. And fighting with Moro. Now that Moro is involved. Uh, Vegeta. Still training. Uh, Goku. Goes all out in a fight with Moro. And it keeps going and going. Um, I think Goku pretty much beats him down. But then he's able to absorb power from someone and recover and that's when they realize oh that we need to do something a little more decisive than just trying to wear him down um okay yeah and then they yeah they get the dragon balls they wish everyone back to life who died from all of moro's conquests um but moro um absorbs power wait who the okay he's eating someone who is he eating Oh, it's that 73 robot guy. Okay, yeah. He just picks him up and eats him. Um, you know, for all the Vor fans out there, he just swallows the guy down and absorbs his powers that way, uh, including the gemstone things, so he can now, you know, copy and store powers, um, including the ones that were already stored. So he's got a backup of his own powers, which comes in later. Um, but, yeah, fighting, fighting, fighting... Neerus comes in and actually fights back using his full angel powers, which uh, lets him shatter one of the gemstones, but then uh, he is wiped from existence because he broke his angel vows by taking a side in the battle of good and evil. Um, but that also inspires Goku to go full Ultra Instinct again. Uh, more fighting... Also, Goku learned, oh, yeah, I gotta break the gemstones, and if I break the gemstones, now he can't absorb powers anymore. I guess, I don't know. It seemed like he could do that before. Maybe, there's probably some reason, I don't know. Um, and that leads up to the volume that I talked about previously a while ago, where Moro is defeated, but then, uh, like, fuses himself into the Earth, um so that all the power of the entire Earth is inside of him, and if they destroy him, he'll destroy the Earth, which I guess it would create a big enough explosion to also destroy the universe somehow, even though, I mean, the Earth really isn't that big compared to the universe when you get down to it. It's a speck, but whatever. Um, but, okay, how did this stop him? Um... Goku used some kind of spirit power thing to become a giant spirit Goku. And spe oh yeah, he just breaks the gemstone, I guess. Uh, so yeah, yeah, he, just, he broke the gemstone and so Moro couldn't uh, explode quite as big. Um, and the earth didn't blow up. So, whatever. Um, okay, so yeah, so I read all that. Uh, it was a while ago, so apologies, I don't remember everything that happened in that, um, but, but I also read a couple, uh, manga volumes, or books, or whatever, um, that I'm sure a lot, you know, I don't know about my listeners, because there's not a lot, but, um, most manga fans, I assume, have read Uzumaki by Junji Ito, and or Gyo by Junji Ito. I read both of those over the last few weeks because um, I hadn't read them and they sounded neat. So yeah, Uzumaki, I'm sure everyone's already familiar with it. It's a um, story of, let's see, subtitle, Spiral into Horror, 
story of a girl in town where everything just like it starts off with her friend's dad becoming obsessed with spirals to the point that he like climbs into a barrel and turns himself into a human-shaped spiral um and from there like everything just uh, spirals out of control um you know the like it, it you know it, it's kind of apocalyptic the way everything just falls apart over the course of this story that it's just um various you know each chapter is like a different spiral shaped horror story but it's all building on each other as more and more people are being destroyed by this spiral curse that it turns out is like deep in the foundations of the town and that like the spiral has this like magic power to it that's just drawing people in and not letting them go that you know like rescue workers come to town and they can't get out because the spiral is just pulling everyone in and eventually everyone's just pulled down into this spiraling mass under the city um so yeah i mean it's creepy it's you know very visually interesting um gyo um i was okay so i bought it mainly because at the back of the volume it includes the short story let me find the page um the enigma of amigara fault which is the story from the memes of um you know the the naked guy trying to climb into a hole that's shaped like a person and saying that hey, this is my hole it was made for me um yeah it's a, it's a short story about um so like um there's like an earthquake and this mountain opens up and reveals that there's a bunch of human shaped cracks inside of it and archaeologists come in like wow this is interesting but then a bunch of people start showing up and saying i saw this on tv and i saw that hole and it looks exactly like me and it feels they feel this like deep spiritual connection to these holes that are in the shape of themselves and they feel compelled to like get naked and climb into the hole and then just keep following it down even though eventually you know that by the end of the volume they find the the archaeologists find the backside of the cliff and find that they're not human shaped on the other side it's these weird you know it's still like five limbed um shapes but they're just like squiggly cracks but uh yeah the horror is you know the people who climbed in on one side um uh, you know, are getting, like, all stretched out and mangled by the time they get to the other side, because their bones are made of jello, and they're able to stretch and bend like that. But the, the main story of this Gyo, uh, subtitled The Death Stench Creeps, um, is, it, it takes a lot of really strange turns, this one. Um, because what it starts off, it seems like, okay, so the scary thing going on is that there are fish and sharks with metal legs that come up onto the surface and they crawl around and they can crawl really fast um, and they smell really bad which you know for a while seems like it's just well because they're fish of course they smell really bad when they're out of the water but um but no actually the stench is like the real threat because it turns out that there's this like you know, so they go to a scientist, they bring him, like, one of these fish, um, 
these like really gassy fish. And he does some studying and realizes, oh, I recognize this. It's from like a World War II project that we had of this like chemical warfare gas that like, you know, once you succumb to it, you become like a gas pod that's just spitting out more or less gas. Um, but also you can't really move on your own at that point. So they had to, they created this like rig of metal legs and these like gas pumping tubes and the gas powers the legs, so it's self-perpetuating, um, until the body on top eventually dies, and then, you know, the legs have to attach to a new body, it's, you know, it, it it's weird, there's a lot of plot holes about, like, how does any of this work, but that's not the point, the point is that it's scary, and it's not supposed to make sense, um, so, yeah, and like Uzumaki, it's another story where society just completely collapses by the end of it, as, the horror continues to grow and get crazier. Um, so this like gas spreads and people turn into mechanical leg pod things. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. That's my professional review of Junji Ito. It's real weird, y'all. Um, anyway, okay. So now, uh, things I don't have on hand, so I'm just going to try to remember them. Oh, shit, I forgot. Okay. There's another manga. I did not grab it before I started recording, but it's called Rooster Fighter. Uh, it was really fun. It I read Volume 1, and there's more volumes coming, so that's cool. Uh, it is like your typical shonen anime story about a really buff hero who beats up demons. It's like people turn into demons over you know, various crises in their lives, it makes them turn into these big monster things, and they go around kaiju destroying stuff, and this buff hero beats the shit out of them, and, you know, destroys them, whatever, but this buff hero is a rooster, it's, it's a rooster with muscles, and, uh, but he's got this, like, very, you know, like this kind of, um, uh, Fist of the North Star, uh, Kenshiro, kind of, um, personality is just the, the the tough you know hard gaze uh muscle guy hero um who's like a loner and he has to roam the world because he doesn't belong anywhere but also he's always fighting for good and he has to fight these demons that are just popping up everywhere um it was really fun it reminded me a lot of one punch man especially early one punch man for anyone who's kept up with, like, I, I've kept up with the manga of One Punch Man, and it just, after, like, the first season of the anime, after where that part ends, and it gets into the, like, monster society stuff, it just gets so boring, and it, it, it loses that core joke of just having fun with the idea of how stupid, um, you know, these, like, action anime manga thing stories are, um, and, like, Rooster Fighter, at least for the first volume, still feels like that, that it's just having fun with playing with the tropes of this kind of story by having it be a rooster, and, you know, any, like, the rooster can talk to other animals, but if he talks to humans, all they hear is chicken sounds, um, but, it was really fun. I I did not know anything about it going in. I just found it while I was shopping, and it looked amazing, and it was amazing. So, highly recommended. Uh, Rooster Fighter. 
Um, but yeah, okay. So, things that weren't read, but rather watched. Um, so I watched the entire first season of MODOK. It was okay. Um, it, it was, it was fun, but it didn't really leave much of an impression. Uh, it's stop motion animated. So it's, it's like if Robot Chicken did like a full 10 episode series about one character, which is MODOK. Um, but also, you know, tried to have like a heartfelt story to it of like, Modok, he wants to be a powerful supervillain. He's in charge of AIM, you know, Advanced Idea Mechanics, the evil science group from Marvel. But, you know, as unsurprisingly, he's not very good at his, you know, making his evil plans actually work. He's always getting beaten by Iron Man and whatever. Um, but also, he's, he's got a home life with a wife who he doesn't really pay enough attention to or like care enough about the like the, they get a divorce during the season but they're also like working to get back together um you know they end up like having to time travel at one point and they see themselves when they were younger and, and stuff uh he's also got two kids um regular human looking son and a daughter uh whose name is melissa i can't remember what that stands for it's like a code um you know, like Modok being a uh, mechanical organism designed only for killing. That they made an acronym for Melissa. His daughter Melissa is also a giant head in a chair, like he is. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was a fun show. Um, okay, and then I guess like a lot. Of the, the other plot to the show is that he, because Aim has no money left because he blew it all on all these evil schemes, he sells Aim to a, um, you know, like a tech firm kind of a group, you know, this, like, very Facebooky kind of young tech guy who, um, turns out, uh, is actually working for, like, an evil shadowy organization that just wanted to control AIM and, like, manipulated, um, MODOK into selling to them, um, but... Yeah, I don't know. It, it was it was pretty good. It ends on a cliffhanger, and it doesn't look like it's ever going to be renewed. So that's uh, whatever, I guess. Um, let's see what else did I watch? Oh right, uh, I want okay. So the Rings of Power has concluded its first season. Um, going off of all the articles that Google keeps recommending to me because I watched the show. Um. Reviews, I'd say, are mixed. You know, there's... I, I liked it. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people did like it. Um, a lot of hardcore fans didn't... Like, you know, the, the ways it deviates from the lore are not that big, really. But if you're, like, an absolute Tolkien purist, then sure, the fact that Sauron was not... Um, Anatar, I think in like the lore he came to the elves under the guise of a character named Anatar who offered them the knowledge of ring making as a gift and it was you know his evil plan for them to use it and um, that's not how it plays out in this one there's a different character who is Sauron I'll get into full spoilers in a, a minute or two but um, it's a different character who is Sauron who doesn't come presenting, he, 
assists with them making the rings. And, but he doesn't, you know, like, bring it to them as, like, this is my gift to you, oh, the gift of these magic rings. No, he's, he, he comes to them and is, you know, like, hey, you've got this, um, mithril here that you need to save the elves because it reverses whatever kind of dark magic curse is happening to the elves. Um, but you need to, uh, you know, maybe condense it down into a circular structure so that its power can build on itself. And, um, so he, he plants the idea of how to make, or, like, assist them in making the first rings before they realize that he is actually Sauron in disguise. Um, and that's, you know, in, in the lore, if I remember right, the elven rings were, like, the least corrupted of the rings, and that's in the show explained by they figured out it was Sauron around when they were finishing the rings but in time I guess to uh, make their rings not completely beholden to him um, he hasn't made the one ring yet though that's that's later you know the I guess from what I read they have signed on for five seasons from the start it's like part of the contract so whether or not people like season one, Seasons 2 through 5 are still coming, at least I hope, because I don't really want to see this show just dumped. I know it's stupidly expensive, um, probably doesn't deserve to be as expensive as it was, but for what it was, I enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I think, you know, Elrond and Durin I talked about in the past, they are, like, the highlight of the show, this, like, elf-dwarf relationship, um, you know, it's just, like, it, it's fun watching them together. Um, otherwise, like there's okay. So spoilers. Some cool shit goes down later in the season. So there's, um, there's okay. So there's a bunch of orcs in this place called the Southlands, where a lot of the season takes place, and they're like kidnapping people and putting them to work in these chain gangs, digging tunnels, and cutting down trees and stuff. And the orcs are all working for this, like, dark elf-looking guy, who seems like he might be Sauron, until he reveals he's not Sauron, he is an Uruk, one of the early Uruk High, named Adar. And he is leading all these orcs because he wants to create a world, or a, a place, you know, a country, whatever, where the... Orcs can live without, you know, if they come out in sunlight, their skin gets burned. So he wants to create a place where they can live. Um, so, yeah, so he, um, so all, okay, so spoilers, all the tunnels that he's been digging, and so th th there's a big fight. Um, there, there's like a village in the Southlands, and they're coming under attack from Adar and his orcs. And some of them defect to the orcs, but then they get sent out as the first wave of fighters and they get killed because you were idiots and you shouldn't have sided with the fucking orcs. What the fuck? Um, but, um, yeah, so this the village is under attack, but then um, Galadriel leads the uh, people of Numenor to come to their rescue um, because she believes that Sauron is, she believes Adar is Sauron at that point. And that she's stopping Sauron by stopping these orcs. Um, and they, you know, so there's a big fight in a village and they save them. 
they defeat the orcs, but not before Adar is able to get this, this, like, Sauron sword that, you know, is a MacGuffin that Adar gives to one of his followers, and after all the fighting stuff is over, we see, at the end of an episode, the sword gets, like, plunged into the ground on top of, uh, like, next to a mountain lake, so that it, the power, whatever, blows up the dam, and, like, all the, the lake water comes, like, pouring down, it goes through all those tunnels that they dug, and into an underground lava pit, which causes a volcano to ignite, which is, it's the birth of Mordor. Like, this is where Mordor came from. You see it in this show, that Mordor was, you know, just a regular countryside like everywhere else, but this, like, manufactured, you know, like, almost industrialized, you know, structure, you know, like, they, they built Mordor by just devastating the uh, natural world, um, which is fitting. So, yeah, so the Numenorians have to leave, essentially, in defeat, because this big volcanic blast went off, and, like, the queen is blinded by all the fiery ash from that, um, and, yeah, and then, um, so the, there was this guy who Galadriel met on a ship earlier in the season. Yeah, you know, she she was sent back to the homeland of uh, you know, across you know, the Grey Havens, across the sea, back to the land of uh, the elves, Valinor. And she abandoned ship before she could get there because she felt uh, her task in Middle Earth was not done, Sauron was not defeated. So she um ends up meeting this guy on a ship who uh, claims that he was once the king of the Southlands, but was overthrown. Um, you know, it's a, it feels like an Aragorn kind of backstory, but it turns out in the last episode, actually that was all a lie, um, that the, the line of that Southland king died out a long time ago, and this guy is actually Sauron in disguise. Um, and so he came back to the Southlands with Galadriel uh, as part of this whole, you know, rescue uh, plan thing. And then went with her back to the elf, I think Rivendell, maybe, you know, wh whichever city was where they, um, he, he went to Celebrimbor and, you know, talked to him about how to use Mithril in a ring shape to maximize its power. Um, and, yeah, so the, the elven rings are forged by the end of the season, after they figure out that Sauron is the one who told them to do it in the first place. Um, and then, so this, uh, new Sauron guy, uh, at the end of the season is walking into Mordor. I'm sure future seasons will get into the dwarven rings and the nine rings of men, and probably who those nine kings were before they became the ringwraiths. And, um, yeah, like, I'm, I'm interested in seeing more of it, you know, I think on a scale of Lord of the Rings stuff, uh, I'd put Rings of Power above the Hobbit movies, which didn't, you know, like, they, they were kind of bloated. I mean, this is all, this show's also kind of bloated in some ways, but at least it's telling new things. It's not, like, one short book that was stretched out. It's, um, uh, 
a bunch of short lore bits that were filled out, which is different. Um, it's not as good as the Lord of the Rings movies, though. You know, those are much, much more solid. They had a more solid foundation, and they just, you know, they had much better characters. The characters in this show are fine. You know, I liked it. Um, you know, I think the complaints about the show tend to be overblown. Um, but yeah. Uh, okay, what else? Um, okay. So, this week, more recent memories, like, well, actually, maybe remember stuff. Um, I saw the movie Nope, uh, the, the new Jordan Peele movie. I have not seen Get Out or Us, so I didn't really know what to expect, except, you know, I'd seen videos about Nope, and I'd heard the entire plot, so it, you know, I, I went in full spoilers, and probably liked it better for it. You know, it's um, the kind of movie that would have some trigger warnings um, if you didn't know what it was about going in. Um, so I guess like trigger warnings, uh, some pretty gruesome vor happens in the, in this. Um, okay, so it's... It's a story, um, about, okay, there's, so that there's, it starts off with a flashback that they flash back to a couple times about a TV show called Gordy's Home, which was about Gordy the monkey, uh, it was like a sitcom, but there was an episode they did that was Gordy's birthday where they had a bunch of balloons on set and the balloons popped and the monkey flipped out and... It, it appears that he killed a bunch of people. It later turns out he... Some of them he killed, some of them he maimed. But either way, it was really violent and gross. Um, the the monkey was shot. Uh, the... One of the child stars on there, uh, Stephen Yoon, plays his adult version in the movie. Um, one of these child stars hid under a table... And saw the whole thing happen. Um, but he believed because, you know, he, he could see the, he could see Gordy. And Gordy could kind of see him, but not exactly through the table. He believed that, like, they had, like, a spiritual connection. And that's why Gordy didn't kill him when he killed everyone else. Um, I mean, you know, really, kind of the point of the movie is, well, the, there's multiple points to the movie, but, um, one of the points of the movie is just the idea that it is, you know, trying, trying to like domesticate animals or like expect animals not to behave in like violent ways, you know, because you've trained them is, uh, dangerous. You know, like they, they make a direct reference to, um, how was it, uh, Penn and Teller and the, were they the ones with the tiger? Um, or I, I think I'm mixing them up with someone else. The the Las Vegas act where they had the tiger and it mauled one of them after you know decades of doing that same act over and over. Um, because it's a tiger and you can't actually train it not to kill you. That's just kind of its thing. Um, same for the monkey. Same for the uh, spoilers. Giant alien that uh, is the subject of this movie in a lot of ways. Uh, it's the monster of the movie, at least. Um, because, okay, so we cut to the present. The present is, um, 
So this, this is two siblings played by uh let's see fuck what, what's your name? I know Daniel Kaluuya is the main guy. I don't remember the girl. I don't have the DVD on me. Um but uh Kiki Palmer, I think. Um so so they they're your siblings. Their dad uh ran a horse ranch where they trained um like horses for movies and so that their dad died when in this like weird freak accident a bunch of just metal debris came raining down from the sky and a nickel fell through his eye into his head and killed him um and that that was not a coincidence it it, it directly connects to this alien that comes up later um but at the time they thought it was just a freak accident so um so Daniel Kaluuya, don't remember character name, but he is running the ranch now. Sister has other plans, but she's come back to take care of some stuff. And to get by, he's been selling some of the horses to um, Stephen Yoon's character, the adult version of the Asian kid from Gordy's home. And because um, he's... Stephen Yoon character's running a, um, this, like, western ranch thing that's inspired by another movie that he did when he was a kid, um, and as part of it, he's been doing a show where, so he, he already knows about, the, there's, there's this cloud in the sky that doesn't move, if you watch it long enough, it doesn't move, because there's apparently a UFO inside of it, um, and the thing does look like a UFO, it actually turns out it's an alien life form itself. It, it like it is an alien, um, but he has been feeding it horses. Basically, he's he does this like show where you know he's timed it out. You know the thing comes by at the same time every week, and he'll send a horse out into the desert, and he's got like a grandstand full of people to watch, and the alien will swoop down and so it's like it's shaped like a disc but it has like a hole in the center and it will just suck the horse up and eat it and um and that's that's where all the metal bits come from that anytime it eats something indigestible it will spit it back out um so so like you know metal bits coins whatever will get spit back out and just come like raining down from the sky out of this thing um but you know, daniel kaluuya and kiki palmer have you know also discovered oh there's this thing there this like alien if we can get footage of it then we can make a lot of money off of that so they hire um this, this uh electronics employee guy to set up a camera system so they can try to get a good shot of it um and, uh, as part of that, they set up a prop horse, and the thing comes and eats it, but, you know, it's indigestible, so it doesn't like that. Um, so the next time Stephen Yoon does his show, the alien shows up earlier, and instead of eating the horse, it eats all the people in the grandstand. Uh, and that's where the most disturbing scene in the movie comes in. It's like a alien vor scene of these people getting sucked up into this thing and just like squished in its, you know, 
gullet or whatever. Um, you know, they're like screaming the whole time up until it, the, the alien like flies over the, the siblings house and just like rains blood and little bits of metal and shit down all over the house. Um, as it's, you know, digesting all these people that it just ate. Um, but they managed to get the attention of a documentary filmmaker who's also obsessed with filming impossible spectacles. Um, cause another thing the alien does is anytime it passes by a place, the electronic, like all electronics, whether or not they're connected to power lines or like cell phones, they all shut down when it's around, which makes it very hard to get a picture of it. But, uh, the guy, this, uh, filmmaker guy has a filmless camera. So they set up this, like, elaborate plan to draw the alien out and get a good picture of it. But by the end of that, the filmmaker guy also gets eaten. And, um, and Daniel Kaluuya figures out that because it is operating on, like, animal logic, um, looking it in the eye is a thing that really sets it off. That if you keep your head down and don't look at it, that, you know, it will pass by you. It's kind of a mix of, you know, like, um, like, predator behavior, you know, be making yourself not feel, not appear threatening, to a predatory animal, while also there's this kind of sense of, like, religious, uh, reverence in regard to this thing. It, I think I saw an interview that said, like, its design is partially based on some of, like, the Old Testament accounts of what angels look like, you know, like, the really bizarre wheels-within-wheels wheels kind of things that this alien is meant to be, like, this is the same kind of thing those people saw in ancient times that is just this, like, crazy shit that they thought was, uh, you know, an emissary from God. Um, there's also a character named Angel, so it's, you know, pretty explicit in the text that that's, uh, you know, one of the interpretations of this thing. But, but they end up, you know, leading it on a chase into the, um, that Wild West amusement park thing and setting loose a giant cowboy balloon that the thing eats, and they manage to get a picture of it right before it um, explodes, because I guess the, the all the gas inside of the cowboy balloon um, blew it up from the inside. So, no more giant alien jellyfish. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. I liked it. Um... And, okay, since this is a solo app with only me, I usually only record an hour instead of two. Partly for my voice, partly because I, you know, if I don't have that back and forth, there's just not as much to say. Um, so I guess the last topic that I have is, um, uh, this week Disney Plus put out a short, I think six episode miniseries called Tales of the Jedi which is like a spin-off of Clone Wars about um, some like unseen adventures mainly focused on Ahsoka and Count Dooku. Um, the short version, five of the episodes were good. One of them was 
not. Not good. Um, okay, so the first episode is the one that's not good. It is um, the Baby Ahsoka episode. And it really feels like a cash grab going for that Baby Yoda money. Because it's just an episode... Like, Baby Ahsoka is born to... Su- like, I don't know. I know parents are enthusiastic about new children being born. But it, the way the whole thing is framed, it feels like fucking Baby Jesus is being born. But it's... Ahsoka, a character who, in the grand scheme of Star Wars, she's popular, she's become popular, but she's not, like, the focus. I mean, that's one of the things people hated about, like, the Skywalker line being treated with such, you know, grandeur and reverence, like, you know, I don't know, it's, just, it's, it's dumb. Um, it's like, so baby Ahsoka is born, and then mom takes her on a hunting trip so she can see what death looks like when they shoot a you know bambi's mom alien uh i know it's a kaibuck but you know they shoot the baby the bambi's mom deer and uh let baby ahsoka see what death looks like but then a tiger shows up and the mom tries to fight the tiger but the tiger grabs baby ahsoka and runs off into the woods uh, but then the tiger goes to eat baby Ahsoka and her giant baby eyes and latent force potential make the tiger fall under her sway and give her a ride back to the village where everybody else has assembled a hunting party to go find the tiger. Um, it, it was real dumb. It, it's so dumb. The other episodes were pretty good. I mean, they still had that Clone Wars penchant of you know, obviously they're made for kids, so they have to be really blunt about some of the things they're doing, but at least, you know, they can have some moral depth to them. Um, let's see, I, I don't, I didn't write down notes on all the episodes, but I know one of them is like, young Dooku, um, goes to rescue a senator's son who's been kidnapped by a bunch of people in some backwater world. Turns out those people are, you know, um, like economically oppressed that they they are like destitute because of things that that senator has done and they're trying to get his attention and dooku realizes that and he's like oh i should be standing up for these people but the senator and his guards show up and they're like no we need to kill them all and save my son so dooku has to fight back against senator guy and all of his guards as they're like gunning down these poor people and um so Dooku gives in to his anger and starts strangling the senator while his apprentice, young Qui-Gon Jinn, uh, rushes in and saves the senator's son, tells the son to go save his dad before Dooku finishes him off. And they... Uh, so, at the end of it, like, Dooku's forgiven for his outburst, but um, Qui-Gon's the one who gets the promo- promotion, not uh, Dooku. And, let's see, this... Uh, there's another episode with Dooku and Mace Windu that basically kind of feels like the same thing again. It's like, well, Dooku, your heart's in the right place, but your actions are just so violent. We can't get behind this. Um, and also weirdly, Mace Windu looks exactly the same age as he does in the present. Well, Dooku is visibly like decades younger than, you know, his Clone Wars appearance. Um, and then... See, there, there's a third Dooku episode where Yaddle, the female Yoda from the episode one council scenes, uh, 
let's see, I don't know, they, they, they were, like, talking or something, and she ends up tracking him down to the bad part of Coruscant, where he's been meeting with Darth Sidious, you know, Palpatine, to, um, you know, make, make their plans to create a separatist movement and stop the corruption of the Senate, because that, that's kind of Dooku's big thing, is realizing, like, how much the Jedi are a police force that is beholden to the whims of the Senate, which is a, you know, like, rich aristocratic group that doesn't pay attention to its own constituents, and, um, that, you know, he, he's, like, Dooku's like a proletariat hero in this presentation of him, but also he makes a deal with Palpatine, the master manipulator, and Yaddle tries to turn him back, and he has to kill her, in part because, you know, Palpatine's there, and he said to do it, so, um, so he had to do it, but, yeah, um, and then there's, there's a couple other Ahsoka episodes that show, like, um, I can't remember, this, like, uh, she, she has to do, like, a training exercise against droids, and Anakin's like, that's no good, nobody's fighting you know, these, like, training sphere droid things, I'm gonna give you a real training mission, and he, like, puts her up against his whole clone platoon, and they're just, like, you know, blasting her with stun blasts, um, which, I guess, helped out in the long run, you know, with Order 66. She learned how to deal with having to fight a whole squad of clones that are trying to kill you. Um, and then they do another Ahsoka episode after Clone Wars, where um, she's undercover, uh, you know, pretending not to be a Jedi, but as always, there's an industrial accident, and a bunch of hay bales are about to fall on a person, and she uses her force powers to push the hay bales away, uh, so that, um, the person doesn't get squished, but then, you know, like Magneto in X-Men Apocalypse, you use your powers, and now somebody's like, oh, you're a Jedi mutant, and, um, and, yeah, so one of the people in the town sells her out to an inquisitor who comes and burns down the entire town while she you know, she's out of town doing like you know farming stuff and the inquisitor shows up and burns the entire town down because they find this jedi that they said was there and um and then ahsoka comes back and they have a fight and she defeats the inquisitor but everything's fucked up and um and that's i guess one of the inciting incidents in her deciding to go join the rebellion um even though there was also a novel in the new canon that kind of covered the same thing except different i think you know the canons already they, they rebooted the whole canon and it's already a mess again because they're just retreading ground that they already tread but you know yeah um so yeah i mean the show was it was decent by clone war standards aside from episode one if you want to watch the Baby Ahsoka episode and see how fucking cringy it can be, go for it. Otherwise, if you just want to see something that feels like Clone Wars, but is new, um, the other five episodes were decent. Um, so with that, I think, I mean, everything else I've watched has just been, like, the, the I watched the first two Season, or not seasons, like, 
volume discs, whatever, of um, Dragon Ball Super, which are just a really stretched out version of the Battle of the Gods and Resurrection F movies. Um, and then, you know, I've been watching a lot of Monty Python because I found that as a affordable DVD set instead of a hundred forty something, you know, I, I, back when I was like in high school, I wanted to get the Monty Python series, but it was like over a hundred dollars for the entire series. And the one I found now is like 40 bucks. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, no, I, th I think, I think that's about it. Um, so hopefully next time Brent is better. Brent, if you're listening and you want to follow up on any of these topics I've gone over, we can do that. Otherwise, I'll see what new things I've got in two weeks. Um, so till next time. That's the worst way to end a podcast. <laughs>